Section 97 of the Book of Household Management. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Household Management by Isabella Beaton. Domestic Servants, Chapter 41, Part 5. Duties of the Maid of All Work. 2340. The general servant or maid of all work is perhaps the only one of her class deserving of commiseration. Her life is a solitary one, and in some places her work is never done. She is also subject to rougher treatment than either the house or kitchen maid, especially in her earlier career. She starts in life, probably a girl of thirteen, with some small tradesman's wife as her mistress, just a step above her in the social scale and although the class contains among them many excellent, kind-hearted women, it also contains some very rough specimens of the feminine gender, and to some of these it occasionally falls to give our maid of all work her first lessons in her multifarious occupations. The mistress's commands are the measure of the maid of all work's duties. By the time she has become a tolerable servant, she is probably engaged in some respectable tradesman's house, where she has to rise with the lark, for she has to do in her own person all the work which in larger establishments is performed by cook, kitchen-maid, and housemaid, and occasionally the part of a footman's duty, which consists in carrying messages. 2341. The general servant's duties commence by opening the shutters and windows, if the weather permits, of all the lower apartments in the house. She should then brush up her kitchen range, light the fire, clear away the ashes, clean the hearth, and polish with a leather the bright parts of the range, doing all as rapidly and as vigorously as possible, that no more time be wasted than is necessary. After putting on the kettle, she should then proceed to the dining-room or parlor to get it in order for breakfast. She should first roll up the rug, take up the fender, shake and fold up the tablecloth, then sweep the room, carrying the dirt towards the fireplace. A coarse cloth should then be laid down over the carpet, and she should proceed to clean the grate, having all her utensils close to her. When the grate is finished, the ashes cleared away, the hearth cleaned, and the fender put back in its place, she must dust the furniture, not omitting the legs of the tables and chairs. And if there are any ornaments or things on the sideboard, she must not dust round them, but lift them up onto another place, dust well where they have been standing, and then replace the things. Nothing annoys a particular mistress so much as to find, when she comes downstairs, different articles of furniture looking as if they had never been dusted. If the servant is at all methodical, and gets into a habit of doing a room in a certain way, she will scarcely ever leave her duties neglected. After the rug is put down, the tablecloth arranged, and everything in order, she should lay the cloth for breakfast, and then shut the dining-room door. 2342. Two. The hall must now be swept, the mats shaken, the doorstep cleaned, and any brass knockers or handles polished up with the leather. If the family breakfast very early, the tidying of the hall must then be deferred until after that meal. After cleaning the boots that are absolutely required, the servant should now wash her hands and face, put on a clean white apron, and be ready for her mistress when she comes downstairs. In families where there is much work to do before breakfast, the master of the house frequently has two pairs of boots in wear, 
so that they may be properly cleaned when the servant has more time to do them in the daytime. This arrangement is, perhaps, scarcely necessary in the summertime, when there are no grates to clean every morning, but in the dark days of winter it is only kind and thoughtful to lighten a servant of all work's duties as much as possible. Illustration. Blacking Brush Box. 2343. She will now carry the urn into the dining room, where her mistress will make the tea or coffee, and sometimes will boil the eggs, to ensure them being done to her liking. In the meantime, the servant cooks, if required, the bacon, kidneys, fish, etc. If cold meat is to be served, she must always send it to table on a clean dish, and nicely garnished with tufts of parsley, if this is obtainable. 2344. After she has had her own breakfast, and whilst the family are finishing theirs, she should go upstairs into the bedrooms, open all the windows, strip the clothes off the beds, and leave them to air whilst she is clearing away the breakfast things. She should then take up the crumbs in a dustpan from under the table, put the chairs in their places, and sweep up the hearth. 2345. The breakfast things washed up, the kitchen should be tidied, so that it may be neat when her mistress comes in to give the orders for the day. After receiving these orders, the servant should go upstairs again with a jug of boiling water, the slop pail, and two claws. After emptying the slops, and scalding the vessels with the boiling water, and wiping them thoroughly dry, she should wipe the top of the wash table and arrange it all in order. She then proceeds to make the beds, in which occupation she is generally assisted by the mistress, or, if she have any daughters, by one of them. Before commencing to make the bed, the servant should put on a large bed apron, kept for this purpose only, which should be made very wide, to button round the waist and meet behind, while it should be made as long as the dress. By adopting this plan, the blacks and dirt on servants' dresses, which at all times it is impossible to help, will not rub off onto the bedclothes, mattresses, and bed furniture. When the beds are made, the rooms should be dusted, the stairs lightly swept down, hall furniture, closets, etc. dusted. The lady of the house, where there is but one servant kept, frequently takes charge of the drawing-room herself, that is to say, dusting it, the servant sweeping, cleaning windows, looking-glasses, grates, and rough work of that sort. If there are any ornaments and knick-knacks about the room, it is certainly better for the mistress to dust these herself, as a maid of all work's hands are not always in a condition to handle delicate ornaments. 2346. Now she has gone the rounds of the house and seen all is in order, the servant goes to her kitchen to see about the cooking of the dinner, in which very often her mistress will assist her. She should put on a coarse apron with a bib to do her dirty work in, which may be easily replaced by a white one if required. 2347. Half an hour before dinner is ready, she should lay the cloth that everything may be in readiness when she is dishing up the dinner, and take all into the dining room that is likely to be required in the way of knives, forks, spoons, bread, salt, water, etc., etc. By exercising a little forethought, much confusion and trouble may be saved both to mistress and servant by getting everything ready for the dinner in good time. 2348 after taking in the dinner, when every one is seated, she removes the covers, hands the plates round, and pours out the beer, 
and should be careful to hand everything on the left side of the person she is waiting on. 2349. We need scarcely say that a maid of all work cannot stay in the dining room during the whole of dinner time, as she must dish up her pudding or whatever is served after the first course. When she sees everyone helped, she should leave the room to make her preparations for the next course. And anything that is required, such as bread, etc., people may assist themselves to in the absence of the servant. 2350. When the dinner things are cleared away, the servant should sweep up the crumbs in the dining room, sweep the hearth, and lightly dust the furniture, then sit down to her own dinner. Illustration. Knife Cleaning Machine. 2351. After this, she washes up and puts away the dinner things, sweeps the kitchen, dusts and tidies it, and puts on the kettle for tea. She should now, before dressing herself for the afternoon, clean her knives, boots, and shoes, and do any other dirty work in the scullery that may be necessary. Knife cleaning machines are rapidly taking the place, in most households, of the old knife board. The saving of labor by the knife cleaner is very great, and its performance of the work is very satisfactory. Small and large machines are manufactured, some cleaning only four knives, whilst others clean as many as twelve at once. Nothing can be more simple than the process of machine knife cleaning, and although, in a very limited household, the substitution of the machine for the board may not be necessary, yet we would advise all housekeepers, to whom the outlay is not a difficulty, to avail themselves of the services of a machine. We have already spoken of its management in the Duties of the Footman, number 2177. 2352. When the servant is dressed, she takes in the tea, and after tea turns down the beds, sees that the water jugs and bottles are full, closes the windows, and draws down the blinds. If the weather is very warm, these are usually left open until the last thing at night to cool the rooms. 2353. The routine of a general servant's duties depends upon the kind of situation she occupies, but a systematic maid of all work should so contrive to divide her work that every day in the week may have its proper share. By this means she is able to keep the house clean with less fatigue to herself than if she left all the cleaning to do at the end of the week. Supposing there are five bedrooms in the house, two sitting-rooms, kitchen, scullery, and the usual domestic offices, on Monday she should thoroughly clean the drawing-room, on Tuesday two of the bedrooms, on Wednesday two more, on Thursday the other bedroom and stairs, on Friday morning she should sweep the dining-room very thoroughly, clean the hall, and in the afternoon her kitchen tins and bright utensils. By arranging her work in this manner, no undue proportion will fall to Saturday's share, and she will then have this day for cleaning plate, cleaning her kitchen, and arranging everything in nice order. The regular work must, of course, be performed in the usual manner, as we have endeavored to describe. 2354. Before retiring to bed, she will do well to clean up glasses, plates, etc., which have been used for the evening meal, and prepare her morning's work by placing her wood near the fire, on the hob, to dry, taking care there is no danger of it igniting, before she leaves the kitchen for the night. Before retiring, she will have to lock and bolt the doors, unless the master undertakes this office himself. 2355. 
if the washing, or even a portion of it, is done at home, it will be impossible for the maid of all work to do her household duties thoroughly during the time it is about, unless she have some assistance. Usually, if all the washing is done at home, the mistress hires someone to assist at the wash-tub, and sees to little matters herself, in the way of dusting, clearing away breakfast things, folding, starching, and ironing the fine things. With a little management, much can be accomplished, provided the mistress be industrious, energetic, and willing to lend a helping hand. Let washing week be not the excuse for having everything in a muddle, and although things cannot be cleaned so thoroughly, and so much time spent upon them as ordinarily, yet the house may be kept tidy and clear from litter without a great deal of exertion, either on the part of the mistress or servant. We will conclude our remarks with an extract from an admirably written book called Home Truths for Home Peace. The authoress says, with respect to the great wash, quote, Amongst all the occasions in which it is most difficult and glorious to keep muddle out of a family, the great wash stands preeminent, and as very little money is now saved by having everything done at home, many ladies, with the option of taking another servant or putting out the chief part of the washing, have thankfully adopted the latter course. End quote. She goes on to say, quote, When a gentleman who dines at home can't bear washing in the house, but gladly pays for its being done elsewhere, the lady should gratefully submit to his wishes, and put out anything in her whole establishment, rather than put out a good and generous husband. End quote. 2356. A bustling and active girl will always find time to do a little needlework for herself, if she lives with consistent and reasonable people. In the summer evenings, she should manage to sit down for two or three hours, and for a short time in the afternoon in leisure days. A general servant's duties are so multifarious, that unless she be quick and active, she will not be able to accomplish this. To discharge these various duties properly is a difficult task, and sometimes a thankless office. But it must be remembered that a good maid of all work will make a good servant in any capacity, and may be safely taken not only without fear of failure, but with every probability of giving satisfaction to her employer. Duties of the Dairymaid 2357 The duties of the dairymaid differ considerably in different districts. In Scotland, Wales, and some of the northern counties, women milk the cows. On some of the large dairy farms in other parts of England, she takes her share in the milking, but in private families the milking is generally performed by the cowkeeper, and the dairymaid only receives the milk pails from him morning and night, and empties and cleans them preparatory to the next milking, her duty being to supply the family with milk, cream, and butter, and other luxuries depending on the milky mothers of the herd. 2358. The Dairy The object with which gentlemen keep cows is to procure milk unadulterated and sweet butter for themselves and families. In order to obtain this, however, great cleanliness is required, and as visitors, as well as the mistress of the house, sometimes visit the dairy, some efforts are usually made to render it ornamental and picturesque. The locality is usually fixed near to the house. It should neither be exposed to the fierce heat of the summer sun, nor to the equally unfavorable frosts of winter. It must be both sheltered and shaded. 
if it is a building apart from the house and other offices, the walls should be tolerably thick, and if hollow, the temperature will be more equable. The walls inside are usually covered with Dutch glazed tiles, the flooring also of glazed tiles set in asphalt to resist water, and the ceiling, lath and plaster, or closely jointed woodwork painted. Its architecture will be a matter of fancy. It should have a northern aspect, and a thatched roof is considered most suitable from the shade and shelter it affords and it should contain at least two apartments besides a cool place for storing away butter. One of the apartments in which the milk is placed to deposit cream or to ripen for churning is usually surrounded by shelves of marble or slate on which the milk dishes rest, but it will be found a better plan to have a large square or round table of stone in the center with a watertight ledge all around it in which water may remain in hot weather or, if the attempt at the picturesque is desired, a small fountain might occupy the center, which would keep the apartment cool and fresh. Round this table, the milk dishes should be ranged, one shelf or dresser of slate or marble being kept for the various occupations of the dairymaid. It will be found a better plan than putting them on shelves and corners against the wall. There should be a funnel or ventilator in the ceiling, communicating with the open air, made to open and shut as required. Double windows are recommended, but of the lattice kind, so that they may open, and with wire gauze blinds fitted into the opening, and calico blinds, which may be wetted when additional coolness is required. The other apartment will be used for churning, washing, and scrubbing. In fact, the scullery of the dairy, with a boiler for hot water, and a sink with cold water laid on, which should be plentiful and good. In some dairies, a third apartment, or at least a cool airy pantry, is required for storing away butter, with shelves of marble or slate, to hold the cream jars while it is ripening, and where cheeses are made, a fourth becomes necessary. The dairy utensils are not numerous. Churns, milk pails for each cow, hair sieves, pieces of tin, milk pans, marble dishes for cream for family use, scales and weights, a portable rack for drying the utensils, wooden bowls, butter molds and butter patters, and wooden tubs for washing the utensils, comprising pretty nearly everything. 2359. Pails are made of maple wood or elm and hooped, or of tin more or less ornamented. One is required for each cow. 2360. The hair sieve is made of closely twisted horsehair with a rim through which the milk is strained to remove any hairs which may have dropped from the cow in milking. 2361. Milk dishes are shallow basins of glass, of glazed earthenware or tin, about 16 inches in diameter at top and 12 at the bottom and 5 or 6 inches deep, holding about 8 to 10 quarts each when full. 2362. Churns are of all sorts and sizes, from that which churns 70 or 80 gallons by means of a strap from the engine, to the square box in which a pound of butter is made. The churn used for families is a square box, 18 inches by 12 or 13, and 17 deep, beveled below to the plane of the dashers, with a loose lid or cover. The dasher consists of an axis of wood, to which four beaters or fanners are attached. 
These fans are simply four pieces of elm strongly dovetailed together, forming an oblong square, with a space left open, two of the openings being left broader than the others. Attached to an axle, they form an axis with four projecting blades. The axle fits into supports at the center of the box. A handle is fitted to it, and the act of churning is done by turning the handle. 2363. Such is the temple in which the dairymaid presides. It should be removed both from stable and cowhouse and larder. No animal smells should come near it, and the drainage should be perfect. 2364. The dairymaid receives the milk from the cowkeeper, each pail being strained through the hair sieve into one of the milk basins. This is left in the basins from 24 to 36 hours in the summer, according to the weather, after which it is skimmed off by means of the slicer and poured into glazed earthenware jars to turn for churning. Some persons prefer making up a separate churning for the milk of each cow, in which there is some advantage. In this case, the basins of each cow for two days would either be kept together or labeled. As soon as emptied, the pails should be scalded and every particle of milk washed out, and placed away in a dry place till next required, and all milk spilt on the floor or on the table or dresser, cleaned up with a cloth and hot water. Where very great attention is paid to the dairy, the milk coolers are used larger in winter, when it is desirable to retard the cooling down and increase the creamy deposit, and smaller in summer to hasten it. The temperature required being from 55 to 50 degrees, in summer it is sometimes expedient, in very sultry weather, to keep the dairy fresh and cool by suspending claws dipped in chloride of lime across the room. 2365. In some dairies it is usual to churn twice, and in others three times a week. The former produces the best butter, the other the greatest quantity. With three cows, the produce should be twenty-seven to thirty quarts a day. The dairymaid should churn every day when very hot, if they are in full milk, and every second day in more temperate weather, besides supplying the milk and cream required for a large establishment. The churning should always be done in the morning. The dairymaid will find it advantageous in being at work on churning mornings by five o'clock. The operation occupies from twenty minutes to half an hour in summer, and considerably longer in winter. A steady uniform motion is necessary to produce sweet butter, neither too quick nor too slow. Rapid motion causes the cream to heave and swell from too much air being forced into it. The result is a tedious turning and soft, bad-colored butter. 2366. In spring and summer, when the cow has her natural food, no artificial color is required. But in winter, under stall feeding, the color is white and tallowy, and some persons prefer a higher color. This is communicated by mixing a little finely powdered arnato with the cream before putting it into the churn. A still more natural and delicate color is communicated by scraping a red carrot into a clean piece of linen cloth, dipping it into water, and squeezing it into the cream. 2367. As soon as the butter comes, the milk is poured off, and the butter put into a shallow wooden tub or bowl, full of pure spring water, in which it is washed and kneaded, pouring off the water, and renewing it until it comes away perfectly free from milk. 
Imperfect washing is the frequent cause of bad butter, and in nothing is the skill of the dairy-maid tested more than in this process. Moreover, it is one in which cleanliness of habits and person are most necessary. In this operation we want the aid of Phyllis's neat, soft, and perfectly clean hand, for no mechanical operation can so well squeeze out the sour particles of milk or curd. 2368. The operations of churning and butter-making over, the buttermilk is disposed of. Usually in England, it goes to the pigs. But it is a very wholesome beverage when fresh, and some persons like it. The disposal, therefore, will rest with the mistress. The dairymaid's duty is to get rid of it. She must then scald with boiling water and scrub out every utensil she has used, brush out the churn, clean out the cream jars, which will probably require the use of a little common soda to purify, wipe all dry, and place them in a position where the sun can reach them for a short time to sweeten them. 2369. In Devonshire, celebrated for its dairy system, the milk is always scalded. The milk pans, which are of tin and contain from ten to twelve quarts, after standing ten or twelve hours, are placed on a hot plate of iron over a stove until the cream has formed on the surface, which is indicated by the air bubbles rising through the milk and producing blisters on the surface coating of cream. This indicates its approach to the boiling point, and the vessel is now removed to cool. When sufficiently, that is, quite cool, the cream is skimmed off with the slice. It is now the clotted cream for which Devonshire is so famous. It is now placed in the churn, and churned until the butter comes, which it generally does in a much shorter time than by the other process. The butter so made contains more casein than butter made in the usual way, but does not keep so long. 2370. It is a question frequently discussed how far it is economical for families to keep cows and make their own butter. It is calculated that a good cow costs from May 1st to October 1st, when well but economically kept, 5 pounds 16 shillings 6 pence, and from October 1st to April 30th, 10 pounds 2 shillings 6 pence. During that time she should produce 227 pounds of butter, besides the skimmed milk. Of course, if new milk and cream are required, that will diminish the quantity of butter. 2371. Besides churning and keeping her dairy in order, the dairymaid has charge of the whole produce, handing it over to the cook, butler, or housemaid as required. She will do well to keep an exact account both of what she receives and how and when she disposes of it. Duties of the Laundry Maid 2372. The laundry maid is charged with the duty of washing and getting up the family linen, a situation of great importance where the washing is all done at home, but in large towns where there is little convenience for bleaching and drying, it is chiefly done by professional laundresses and companies who apply mechanical and chemical processes to the purpose. These processes, however, are supposed to injure the fabric of the linen, and in many families the fine linen, cottons, and muslins are washed and got up at home, even where the bulk of the washing is given out. In country and suburban houses, where greater conveniences exist, washing at home is more common, in country places, universal. 2373. 
The laundry establishment consists of a washing house, an ironing and drying room, and sometimes a drying closet heated by furnaces. The washing house will probably be attached to the kitchen, but it is better that it should be completely detached from it, and of one story, with a funnel or shaft to carry off the steam. It will be of a size proportioned to the extent of the washing to be done. A range of tubs, either round or oblong, opposite to and sloping towards the light, narrower at the bottom than at the top, for convenience in stooping over, and fixed at a height suited to the convenience of the women using them, each tub having a tap for hot and cold water, and another in the bottom, communicating with the drains, for drawing off foul water. A boiler and furnace, proportioned in size to the wants of the family, should also be fixed. The flooring should be York stone, laid on brick piers, with good drainage, or asphalt sloping gently towards a gutter connected with the drain. 2374. Adjoining the bleaching house, a second room, about the same size, is required for ironing, drying, and mangling. The contents of this room should comprise an ironing board opposite to the light, a strong white deal table about twelve or fourteen feet long, and about three and a half feet broad, with drawers for ironing blankets, a mangle in one corner, and clothes horses for drying and airing, cupboards for holding the various irons, starch, and other articles used in ironing, a hot plate built in the chimney, with furnace beneath it for heating the irons, sometimes arranged with a flue for carrying the hot air round the room for drying. Where this is the case, however, there should be a funnel in the ceiling for ventilation and carrying off steam, but a better arrangement is to have a hot air closet adjoining, heated by hot air pipes and lined with iron, with proper arrangements for carrying off steam, and clothes horses on casters running in grooves to run into it for drying purposes. This leaves the laundry free from unwholesome vapor. 2375. The laundry maid should commence her labors on Monday morning by a careful examination of the articles committed to her care, and enter them in the washing book, separating the white linen and collars, sheets and body linen, into one heap, fine muslins into another, colored cotton and linen fabrics into a third, woolens into a fourth, and the coarser kitchen and other greasy cloths into a fifth. Every article should be examined for ink or grease spots, or for fruit or wine stains. Ink spots are removed by dipping the part into hot water, and then spreading it smoothly on the hand or on the back of a spoon, pouring a few drops of oxalic acid or salts of sorrel over the ink spot, rubbing and rinsing it in cold water till removed. Grease spots by rubbing over with yellow soap and rinsing in hot water. Fruit and wine spots by dipping in a solution of sal ammonia or spirits of wine and rinsing. 2376. Every article having been examined and sorted, the sheets and fine linen should be placed in one of the tubs and just covered with lukewarm water, in which a little soda has been dissolved and mixed, and left there to soak till the morning. The greasy cloths and dirtier things should be laid to soak in another tub, in a liquor composed of one-half pound of unslaked lime to every six quarts of water, which has been boiled for two hours, then left to settle, and strained off when clear. Each article should be rinsed in this liquor to wet it thoroughly, 
and left to soak till the morning, just covered by it when the things are pressed together. Coppers and boilers should now be filled, and the fires laid ready to light. 2377. Early on the following morning, the fires should be lighted, and as soon as hot water can be procured, washing commenced. The sheets and body linen being wanted to whiten in the morning, should be taken first, each article being removed in succession from the lye in which it has been soaking, rinsed, rubbed, and wrung, and laid aside until the tub is empty, when the foul water is drawn off. The tub should be again filled with lukewarm water, about 80 degrees, in which the articles should again be plunged, and each gone over carefully with soap and rubbed. Novices in the art sometimes rub the linen against the skin. More experienced washerwomen rub one linen surface against the other, which saves their hands, and enables them to continue their labor much longer, besides economizing time, two parts being thus cleaned at once. 2378. After this first washing, the linen should be put into a second water, as hot as the hand can bear, and again rubbed over in every part, examining every part for spots not yet moved, which require to be again soaped over and rubbed till thoroughly clean. Then rinsed and wrung, the larger and stronger articles by two of the women, the smaller and more delicate articles requiring gentler treatment. 2379. In order to remove every particle of soap and produce a good color, they should now be placed and boiled for about an hour and a half in the copper, in which soda, in the proportion of a teaspoonful to every two gallons of water, has been dissolved. Some very careful laundresses put the linen into a canvas bag to protect it from the scum and the sides of the copper. When taken out, it should again be rinsed, first in clean hot water, and then in abundance of cold water slightly tinged with fig blue, and again wrung dry. It should now be removed from the washing house, and hung up to dry or spread out to bleach, if there are conveniences for it. And the earlier in the day this is done, the clearer and whiter will be the linen. 2380. Colored muslins, cottons, and linens, require a milder treatment. Any application of soda will discharge the color, and soaking all night, even in pure water, deteriorates the more delicate tints. When ready for washing, if not too dirty, they should be put into cold water and washed very speedily, using the common yellow soap, which should be rinsed off immediately. One article should be washed at a time, and rinsed out immediately before any others are wetted. When washed thoroughly, they should be rinsed in succession in soft water, in which common salt has been dissolved, in the proportion of a handful to three or four gallons, and afterwards wrung gently, as soon as rinsed, with as little twisting as possible, and then hung out to dry. Delicate colored articles should not be exposed to the sun, but dried in the shade, using clean lines and wooden pegs. 2381. Woolen articles are liable to shrink unless the flannel has been well shrunk before making up. This liability is increased where very hot water is used. Cold water would thus be the best to wash woolens in. But, as this would not remove the dirt, lukewarm water, about 85 degrees, and yellow soap are recommended. When thoroughly washed in this, they require a good deal of rinsing in cold water to remove the soap. 2382. 
greasy cloths which have soaked all night in the liquid described, should be now washed out with soap and water as hot as the hands can bear, first in one water and rinsed out in a second, and afterwards boiled for two hours in water in which a little soda is dissolved. When taken out, they should be rinsed in cold water and laid out or hung up to dry. 2383. Silk handkerchiefs require to be washed alone. When they contain snuff, they should be soaked by themselves in lukewarm water two or three hours. They should be rinsed out and put to soak with the others in cold water for an hour or two, then washed in lukewarm water, being soaked as they are washed. If this does not remove all stains, they should be washed a second time in similar water, and, when finished, rinsed in soft water in which a handful of common salt has been dissolved. In washing stuff or woolen dresses, the band at the waist and the lining at the bottom should be removed, and wherever it is gathered into folds, and in furniture, the hems and gatherings. A black silk dress, if very dirty, must be washed, but, if only soiled, soaking for four and twenty hours will do. If old and rusty, a pint of common spirits should be mixed with each gallon of water, which is an improvement under any circumstances. Whether soaked or washed, it should be hung up to drain and dried without wringing. 2384. Satin and silk ribbons, both white and colored, may be cleaned in the same manner. 2385. Silks, when washed, should be dried in the shade, on a linen horse, taking care that they are kept smooth and unwrinkled. If black or blue, they will be improved if laid again on the table, when dry, and sponged with gin or whiskey or other white spirit. 2386. The operations should be concluded by rinsing the tubs, cleaning the coppers, scrubbing the floors of the washing house, and restoring everything to order and cleanliness. 2387. Thursday and Friday, in a laundry in full employ, are usually devoted to mangling, starching, and ironing. 2388. Linen, cotton, and other fabrics, after being washed and dried, are made smooth and glossy by mangling and by ironing. The mangling process, which is simply passing them between rollers subjected to a very considerable pressure, produced by weight, is confined to sheets, towels, table linen, and other similar articles, which are without folds or plates. Ironing is necessary to smooth body linen, and made up articles of delicate texture or gathered into folds. The mangle is too well known to need description. 2389. Ironing. The irons consist of the common flat iron, which is of different sizes, varying from 4 to 10 inches in length, triangular in form, and from 2.5 to 4.5 inches in width at the broad end. The oval iron, which is used for more delicate articles, and the box iron, which is hollow and heated by a red-hot iron inserted into the box. The Italian iron is a hollow tube, smooth on the outside, and raised on a slender pedestal with a footstock. Into the hollow cylinder a red-hot iron is pushed, which heats it, and the smooth outside of the latter is used, on which articles such as frills and plated articles are drawn. Crimping and goffering machines are used for a kind of plating where much regularity is required, the articles having passed through two iron rollers, fluted so as to represent the kind of plate or fold required. 
2390. Starching is a process by which stiffness is communicated to certain parts of linen, as the collar and front of shirts, by dipping them in a paste made of starch boiled in water, mixed with a little gum arabic, where extra stiffness is required. To make starch. 2391. Ingredients. Allow one half pint of cold water and one quart of boiling water to every two tablespoonfuls of starch. Mode. Put the starch into a tolerably large basin, pour over it the cold water, and stir the mixture well with a wooden spoon until it is perfectly free from lumps and quite smooth. Then take the basin to the fire, and whilst the water is actually boiling in the kettle or boiler, pour it over the starch, stirring it the whole time. If made properly in this manner, the starch will require no further boiling, but should the water not be boiling when added to the starch, it will not thicken, and must be put into a clean saucepan, and stirred over the fire until it boils. Take it off the fire, strain it into a clean basin, cover it up to prevent a skin forming on the top, and, when sufficiently cool that the hand may be borne in it, starch the things. Many persons, to give a shiny and smooth appearance to the linen when ironed, stir round two or three times in the starch a piece of wax candle, which also prevents the iron from sticking. 2392. When the things to be starched are washed, dried, and taken off the lines, they should be dipped into the hot starch made as directed, squeezed of it, and then just dipped into cold water, and immediately squeezed dry. If fine things be wrung or roughly used, they are very liable to tear. So too much care cannot be exercised in this respect. If the article is lace, clap it between the hands a few times, which will assist to clear it. Then have ready laid out on the table a large clean towel or cloth. Shake out the starched things, lay them on the cloth, and roll it up tightly, and let it remain for three or fours, when the things will be ready to iron. 2393. To be able to iron properly requires much practice and experience. Strict cleanliness with all the ironing utensils must be observed, as, if this is not the case, not the most expert ironer will be able to make her things look clear and free from smears, etc. After wiping down her ironing table, the laundry maid should place a coarse cloth on it, and over that the ironing blanket, with her stand and iron rubber and having ascertained that her irons are quite clean and of the right heat, she proceeds with her work. 2394. It is a good plan to try the heat of the iron on a coarse cloth or apron before ironing anything fine. There is then no danger of scorching. For ironing fine things, such as collars, cuffs, muslins, and laces, there is nothing so clean and nice to use as the box iron, the bottom being bright, and never placed near the fire, it is always perfectly clean. It should, however, be kept in a dry place, for fear of its rusting. Goffering tongs or irons must be placed in a clear fire for a minute, then withdrawn, wiped with a coarse rubber, and the heat of them tried on a piece of paper, as, unless great care is taken, these will very soon scorch. 2395 the skirts of muslin dresses should be ironed on a skirt board covered with flannel, and the fronts of shirts on a smaller board also covered with flannel, this board being placed between the back and front. 
2396. After things are mangled, they should also be ironed in the folds and gathers. Dinner napkins smoothed over, as also tablecloths, pillowcases, and sometimes sheets. The bands of flannel petticoats and shoulder straps to flannel waistcoats must also undergo the same process. End of section 97